This is Africa Emerging Podcast with your host, Tutu Adamola. We're set to showcase the unique contributions of influential Africans living in the developed economies who, against all odds, have made indelible marks in their respective professions around the world. Join me as we shape this new narrative. Hello everyone, welcome to episode 9 of the Africa Emerging Podcast. My guest on the show today is Dotun Oluwokoroko. He is currently a principal at Novostar Ventures, a VC firm focused on investment in transformational early-stage business that enable access and provide economic opportunities for low-income and mass-market population in Africa. On the show today, we talked about his previous startup, the journey from being an academic to entrepreneur and becoming an investor. He gave his thought about the African tech ecosystem, where he sees the industry in another five to 10 years. He also gave advice on what entrepreneurs should look out for before seeking funding. The conversation was quite an informative one and also intellectual as well. I enjoyed it and I hope you do. For the record, Dotwin is one of those who's inspired and encouraged me to start the Africa Emerging Podcast. I listened to Dotwin's um, episode of the Building the Future Podcast um, every time, and it's absolutely awesome to have you here today. Yeah, it's a pleasure, Tutu. I'm really uh, honored to be on your show, actually, and I'm um, also very um, honored that you are, you are encouraged and, and, and inspired by my little attempt at doing a podcast, so... Um, uh, looking forward to the fun we're going to have on your show today. Great, great. So tell me about Starter. Ah, Starter. Starter um, is, a, is a platform or, a, uh, or an advisory firm that I started uh, after I started going to uh, Africa uh, initially as an investor. Um, and I quickly discovered that um, one of the ways in which I can make impact in the, on the continent is helping entrepreneurs that want to build high growth, scalable businesses. And Starter was my attempt at uh, building the capacity for them. So Starter basically is a, it's a community, it's a content platform. We write lots of blogs and we write, we do weekly newsletter. And we also do um, a lots of um, events uh, around entrepreneurship, growth marketing. And it's also, a commu- it's also a community where we bring people together. So Starter is that place where you can learn how to build high growth businesses in Africa um, through content, community, and, um, uh, and a lot of capacity development play that we do. So, uh, so started my attempt at doing that, uh, basically. We also have a consulting side of Starter where we help businesses that want to use technology and content and data to scale up their marketing. Uh, so that's what Starter is. Oh, great, great, great. So obviously with um, what you do at um, Starter and the reason behind why you started it, um, it's more focused around the Africa tech ecosystem. So what do you think about the African tech ecosystem? Uh, what do I think? There are lots of things uh, that uh, I can say encapsulate my thoughts around the African tech ecosystem. Uh, first of all, what is the Africa tech ecosystem? Um, so you can define it in different ways, but the way I view it is uh, 
entrepreneurs uh, or businesses that are using technology uh, or leveraging technology to either scale their business model or scale uh, the way they um, uh, distribute it to uh, distribute their products and services to uh, lots of people. So, and you can call those kind of company maybe technology startups uh, that are using technology uh, as a tool or as a medium uh, to innovate their business. So the ecosystem around that, uh, uh, people that are building startups in Africa or people that are investing in startups in Africa or products, uh, or, or product managers or, or uh, employees or people that are helping entrepreneurs and, and investors in Africa and also service providers uh, like lawyers and and um, uh, advisory firms or consultants that are helping to support. So that, that's what it tech ecosystem is in Africa. And also you can have people like innovation hubs, um, programs, uh, people that are doing uh, hackathons and, and, and tech uh, um, software engineers and stuff. So what do I think about that in total? One is um, technology is making it easier to start businesses in the continent, uh, in, the continent uh, in the sense that a kid in Kano can come up with a solution and build an app uh, that can solve some problems. Um, so technology makes it easy to do that. Uh, two, uh, there are a lot of challenges uh, uh, and a lot of broken things in Africa. There are a lot of infrastructural gaps uh, and a lot of inefficiency that everybody can talk about till the cows come home. Uh, it's well, well documented that so many things are broken in Africa. Governments, uh, a lot of government inefficiency. And when I'm talking about Africa, Africa is huge. Uh, there are over 50 countries in Africa. But I'm talking about maybe some of the countries that you would look at that are maybe more advanced, um, like Nigeria, South Africa, Ghana, Kenya, Uganda, Cote d'Ivoire, um, Senegal. Uh, even then, there's still a lot of gaps and inefficiency. But those inefficiencies, uh, provide opportunity for entrepreneurs to solve problems for that. So you can look at logistics, health, um, financial services, banking. There are lots of inefficiency that exist that technology and an entrepreneur can look at how technology can enable you to do that to make it work better. So that's the second thing I see about Africa. The third thing I now see is for the first time, Africans can actually take their own destiny in their hands. So if you look at a lot of uh, revolutions in terms of uh, uh, economic revolutions that have taken place in the world, uh, the industrial revolution, uh, the information um, that you can say is a revolution, uh, Africans have not had access to or been able to take advantage of it. So industrial revolution left us behind because at that time, we were not as educated as we were now. Industrial revolution happened in, in the West. Uh, Africans were playing catch up. The Asians quickly latched onto it and the Japanese and, and the Koreans were able to take advantage of it faster than we do. But for the first time, uh, the revolution that is taking place now is more technological uh, uh, and, 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 inf and information hitch. It's, it's happening fast now. And for the first time, Africans can have access to it like every other person. Um, even though there's still a lot of information asymmetry, but Africans can get access to uh, information and knowledge as like any other person in the world. Um, right in your pocket on, on the, the mobile phone, uh, you can get 
a lot of information about anything. So a kid in Shokoto and a kid in Ibadan can have as much information about anything, about nuclear physics, about um, uh, about medical, uh, uh, how to do how to do medical science, uh, about the minute testing, as much as somebody in Harvard can have access to. You know, the way they use it can be different, but the, the person can actually Google and have access to a lot of information as much as possible. So what, are, what does that mean for Africa? And the implication of that is, and before I go into that, the other bit is that Africans are more, uh, uh, more knowledgeable, more, um, uh, more uh, uh, connected. Uh, they, uh, they are, we are more, uh, we are more educated, uh, richer, more affluent, which they live longer uh, than ever before in the history of Africans. So the current Africa, we are the luckiest generations of Africans because we are. For the f- we are more uh, we 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 are luckier than every generation before us. Uh, we don't have slavery anymore, although they're still in pocket of places. But a whole country, a whole nation, a whole community is not enslaved like before. Uh, there are less uh, dictatorship in Africa. There are more democracy than dictatorship. Economy is better than before 10, 15, 20 years ago. Yes, there are still a lot of challenges and problems. Uh, there are less war in Africa than, than, than before compared to 100 or 150 years ago where every part of Africa is so... Uh, there are about 10,000 units of countries and states in Africa that are fighting each other. Uh, so what can we do with that? If, so look at that, uh, looking at that, how lucky we are and how much information that is, you know, and, and, the, and the access to the technology, both uh, machine learning, blockchain technology, and every form of technology that you can think about that uh, Africans have access to now. What, what do we do with that? Uh, we can build businesses that can solve our own problems. We can solve problems with regards to health. We can solve problems with regards to food, uh, energy, uh, uh, logistics, and, and, and every other form of things that we, that we can think about. Uh, the, the pace of doing it might be different. Uh, we might not have the right resources, but we have uh, and all the resources together, but we have all the building blocks to make it work. So that's what I think about the tech ecosystem in Africa. Like for the first time, Africans can actually build businesses and solve their own problem. Now, there's a challenge to that. And the challenge is that we don't have as much resources in terms of financial capital exactly. or the risk capital to do it like uh, other people would have access to in maybe in, in, in US, uh, London, or China. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we can start from somewhere. We have it. We have something to build from. And that, those are the basis of my thesis. And that's yeah. why uh, after I left my uh, previous business in the UK, I decided to focus on Africa and say, this is just a great time. Uh, I have the same kind of zeal and energy and vision like uh, Inam Yazikwe had about Africans ruling themselves. I believe the challenge before the generations of Inam Yazikwe, uh, the, the former, uh, the first uh, uh, governor general and uh, local governor general of Nigeria or the president and 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 and, and uh, Tafa Balewa or Obafemiwolo. Uh, uh, the challenge before them was Nigerians or, or even uh, Kwame Nkrumah and uh, uh, um, uh, Patrice Lumumba. The challenge before them was Africans should be able to self-govern themselves, and they had that energy. They say we are educated now, we can rule ourselves, and I feel the same zeal that Africans can actually take down this. We can build businesses and solutions that technology uh, and product that can solve significant problems that we face, food, food shortages, health, transport, energy, and all those things. And those are my views. And those are the key things that drive me and form the basis of my thesis for Africa. 
Yeah, absolutely spot on, spot on. I think that same energy and that same way you feel, I, I feel the same way as well. It's when I tend to read like different articles and things online, different, and basically statistics that is out there, we can do it we can do we've got the resources we might not have the finances as much as the west do have it but we just need to start from somewhere we need to start from somewhere and i absolutely agree with you on that so we um with the um, the conversation so far what do you think uh, where do you see the african tech ecosystem in the next five to ten years what do you envisage would happen uh, sometimes the past is uh, is an indicator of how the future might look like, uh, even though it's not always correct that the past can predict the future. But you can look back and see um, a similar trajectory in other ecosystems, uh, the U.S. Uh, or Southeast Asia, which is more common. Uh, we have more commonalities to us in terms of development, education, talent, and challenges and, 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 and opportunities there. Uh, if you look back at uh, Southeast Asia, even India, um, in the early 90s, uh, they, there were loads of um, uh, factors that made it where they are right now. So first is people started taking advantage of technology. There were some macro changes in terms of the economy and direction and focus of government to invest in technology. And they were doing a lot of back office uh, processing and, and, and providing services to companies in the U- UK. Now, what did, that, what did that do? The effect of that was it started changing the, the quality and the quantity of talent. Um, so um, and people started seeing technology startups or, or, or tech businesses as a viable option in, for their career. Yeah. Uh, so that's one. So talent started going there because there's, mo- there's, mo- there's money. The other thing is people, entrepreneurs started building businesses around that. So they started founding businesses. And then the third thing is um, risk capital started going there as well as a viable option uh, because investors want to make money. Uh, money, um, anybody with money does not care normally care where they which geography most of the time that's not a primary thing is where can i double this where, where can this money best work for me and if the money can work for you better in your back yeah and then you put the money there and so you start seeing companies in in in, in india and a lot of start a lot of investors talent and entrepreneurs and those are the three mix of people that make this thing work and over time you start seeing more mature companies from being founded in in, in in india uh and and, and then now you now have billion-dollar businesses, exits, uh, people that are coming up uh, and, and exiting their businesses to make more money and they're putting it back into the ecosystem, found, supporting more founders instead of having more investors. And that is where they are now. And, 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 and also the, there's the impact of the diaspora uh, going back to India and founding businesses uh, and, and some people also live in India to, to, to join businesses as well. As well. Uh, I don't know the data. I don't have any breaker data to back this up, but I will assume that the net impact Impact of people leaving India and coming back will be uh, more positive towards people going back to India after they studied in the UK or US to found businesses more than uh, a lot of people leaving India and, and, and joining companies a, a abroad. I went into all those historical uh, stuff to, to explain what, what would likely happen in a place like Nigeria, Ghana, uh, Kenya. Yeah. But, but let's look at Nigeria as, 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 an, um, as a microcosm of, of Africa, even though it's not the best template to use. But Nigeria is a microcosm of Africa. What, we, you, what you see that has happened in the last three years or five years that I've been engaging with the ecosystem, whereas a lot of people that studied in the UK and US or lived in the UK and US like me are going back to Nigeria to, to, to start businesses, support businesses or fund businesses. Uh, uh, and, and the number we keep increasing over time. So one of the key things that will happen uh, is a more people will start. Will, 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 
because they are coming back and there have been more businesses being founded. Now, of course, the, if, if the effect of that is a lot of businesses will die because that's the nature of startups. So people will lose money, but some of them will stay back and decide to found, to start another business. And, and, and because they've learned from the initial business that failed, the chance of them making it and making it work in the second business is higher. So what you start seeing, I start seeing that now, actually, uh, with Conga, people that started Conga, uh, people that were joined the founders, some of them are now founders in other businesses, some of them are, have joined other businesses. Now, there's a net effect of that. There's a cumulative advantage of, of that knowledge uh, base. And what you start seeing is more founders, more people, more entrepreneurs to be founding businesses. Yeah. Uh, initially, maybe five years ago, it was, startup was like a key, like some folks that are, Man, they're just in Yaba. Uh, uh, you give them $20,000, they found businesses. Now, you start seeing businesses in Nigeria raising $8 million and, and $50 million. And that will, start in, that's, that will start changing over time. So the third thing that will then happen, so the first the talent will start coming. The second thing that, that, that is happening is that more businesses are now, uh, they're failing and going back. The third thing is that more, more, more money will start coming to the ecosystem. The fourth thing is that... Um, Founding a technology business would be a viable option yeah. as against going to work in a bank or working in oil and gas. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that we start making the ecosystem getting more mature. Yeah. Uh, and then there will be more businesses now uh, becoming more mature in the sense that they can, they can exit and make more money for people. So when you start having exits like uh, businesses being bought and sold yeah. at hundreds of millions of dollars, mm-hmm. It, it, it opens up a lot of opportunities. One, the founder that came out of that kind of business will, where do you think they're going to put their money back again? Of course, they're going to buy a house in Ikoyi or Lekki and maybe another house in London, but they will put money back into other startups and then start the process again. And then what will happen is that their uncle who used to work in a bank will have some money and will say, oh, so this startup thing works and then put this money back into that, into startup as well. And then the whole thing starts uh, uh, spiraling into something big. So that's what I see happening. But, the, but, but underlining that is that we're talking about businesses here yeah. and businesses are solving problems. Yeah. Businesses are creating solutions for, for things. So you start having more solutions being uh, found around some of the things I mentioned, uh, uh, healthcare, education, transport, energy, and all those things. And you start having more solutions. So uh, you start having um, things around uh, people can order food and get it to their house quickly. Uh, you, can, you can see hospitals uh, uh, be using technology to make it work better. And you can see like some of the companies that I've been looking at, uh, somebody who is building a clinic yeah. uh, because the primary healthcare system is broken in Nigeria. Absolutely. And he's building clinics mm-hmm. and, and making it efficient using technology mm-hmm. uh, and be, be building retail clinics everywhere, very efficient uh, clinics. And you start having people uh, solving those kind of problems in a bigger way. These are professionals with 20 years experience uh, in med- medical uh, uh, um, industry in the UK and US yeah. deciding to go and start business in, the, yeah. in, in, in Nigeria. Yeah. And that's what started happening. Yeah, but you know what, what, you, what you've just mentioned? What, what, while I, I do agree that would happen, do you think the ecosystem policy is favorable for people to, you know, to start these businesses. You know, the financial service, the big banks you've mentioned, the oil and gas, they are all matured industry. Policies are out there. Most of them, they've been able to negotiate their way through, you know, with policymakers. How do you think it would drive policy, basically? Policies is a reflection of innovation. Most of the time, innovation 
uh, is the one that dictates to, 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 to regulators and policymakers. Uh, you don't innovate through policy. So, um, you, you know, policy comes after the innovation has started. So, and of course, you know, anywhere in the world, whether in Nigeria, US or UK, uh, n- nobody, uh, most policies are not favorable to innovators and, 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 and tech, tech, tech startup. It is after they started it that policy becomes, okay, this is happening. Okay, how do we protect uh, other people? And how do we make sure that, uh, or how do we make money from it or tax or whatever? Mm-hmm. So it is the reaction and the way they engage with it later on that matters. So startup founders should not be thinking that, oh, uh, will the policy favor us? You have to go out there and get your business out in the, in the field and see what the policymakers are saying after that. And then most of the time, if you're genuinely, genuinely solving problem, the policymaker will sit at the table with you and, and, and you then can help them write the right policy or right regulation for that. I, I think... Um, uh, an entrepreneur, and, I, and, and I'm not sure this is what you're asking, though. But an entrepreneur saying, sitting and say, "Hey, the policy does not favor me, therefore it's a barrier." It's the person that is not ready to to take an action. Uh, you need to go out there. Uh, you, if Uber have said, have taught, and the founders of Uber, they've taught that, "Hey, what would the taxi regulators?" think about our service uh, and they put in the consideration before they launched, they're not going to launch. Absolutely. Uh, so they have to go out there and then, 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 then they start engaging with the regulators after they're out there. And the same thing you are seeing with the scooters, uh, the birds and, 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 and lime and all those scooters, uh, on-demand scooters. Yeah. The regulators will be forced to, to engage with them and then regulate after the fact rather than uh, waiting for, rather than startup founders waiting for regulators to talk before they move. The point of the question was to get listeners out there to say, to, to understand if you've got ideas, don't get scared by the fact that, oh, regulators might not accept this. You need to go out there, solve it. And like you did say, if you're solving a real big problem, regulators will sit at the table with you, negotiate, and you would also help drive the policy as well. Yeah, because again, going back to this, the, the fundamental uh, purpose of a business is to solve problem mm-hmm. for someone who is willing and able to pay for it. Mm-hmm. So if you're solving problem, of course, there may be some, uh, some impact of how you solve that problem that the government and the regulators have to think about. But the fundamental thing you have to go for is, am I solving problem? Are people willing and able to pay for it? Mm-hmm. And then... You worry about regulations later. Uh, now, now uh, and a place we won't interpret as okay. That means if I'm solving problem for people in in a, in a way that it's not environmentally friendly, does that mean I can just uh, I can just no? You have to think about the impact for the society, and you have to think about the impact for for people in general. But at the, at the first instance, you, you, the primary reason why you're in business is to solve problem, uh, and then go for that, and then and then look at how you're solving a problem and how that will affect the general society, uh, but do not uh, uh, hinder yourself from, from launching your business based on what the regulators will think. But be ready to engage with regulators, by the way, and do not do things outside the law. Absolutely, absolutely. Great, spot on. So before currently what you do um, with, with Starter, I, I understand that uh, you, were, uh, you were into academics at what point did you realize, oh, academics or being in the classroom, it's, it's not for me? Or what even, what even um, at that point in time made you go into academics? Um, 
So I got into academics by, uh, it's something I, would, I really wanted to do. Uh, when I was living in Nigeria after my BSc, uh, mm-hmm. uh, before, while I, while I was in year three or year two in my university, I wrote down my life vision and goals and said, mm-hmm. I want to have a master's before I'm 30. I want to have my PhD before I'm 40. Yeah. Uh, and, I, and I wanted to work maybe uh, with United Nations or something like that. Mm-hmm. So I just look out, oh, I don't want to work in Nigeria and I want to study outside the country. So I wrote all of those goals down. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so of course I started, I went to do my master's. For my master's, I got a scholarship to do a PhD and I did mm-hmm. a PhD. And naturally, just okay. I, I, I got a job as uh, as a post. I got a postdoc fellowship, mm-hmm. uh, uh, and I did that for two years. Um, a lot of things work for and against me. Uh, one, I finished my PhD in two thousand and nine, end of two thousand and nine, and is the height of recession, the global recession. Mm-hmm. My PhD was in environmental management. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other option for me is to uh, the, the most viable option uh, uh, for me was to get a job as a consultant mm-hmm. with lots of uh, uh, in my field uh, and consultant in my field environmental consultant you immediately work with construction in the construction company and if you know one of the biggest uh, casualty of the global recession mm-hmm. was construction in the UK yeah. Mm-hmm. so yeah and it just cut costs so I couldn't get a job uh, uh, around that time so the other option was to be an academic so be, uh, which I wanted to do so I got a postdoc fellowship which was a temporary job mm-hmm. uh, then uh, what I, I, I was doing it but I wasn't I wasn't fulfilled I wasn't enjoying it I, I wasn't liking my mm-hmm. uh, what what I'm doing and I wasn't doing it well because yeah. it's just something I uh, I enjoyed my PhD, but not my postdoc. It was nine to five. I wasn't a nine to five person at that point. <laughs> Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I got bored, and then uh, and somehow I started a business uh, on the uh, on the side, which became um, uh, a huge business that I had to raise money for. Yeah. Uh, I raised, and I became a startup. And the startup was basically uh, an on-demand delivery platform connecting yeah. uh, uh, people that want to order from high-quality restaurants and, mm-hmm. and, and and connecting them to freelance delivery driver that will go and pick up from those restaurants. Uh, it'd be like Uber Eats now, and that was yeah. when I started, and and, and that launched me to into into startup entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was accidental. My becoming a startup entrepreneur was accidental. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't something I planned. Uh, yeah. I, I spotted the opportunity. Yeah. Uh, I ideated around it. Mm-hmm. And I luckily got people that funded it. And, mm-hmm. and then it was, okay, this is good. And I stopped working as an academic. And I said, I'm going to try this. Yeah. Uh, and then that, I left that uh, after some time, exited that, and then became um, an into, and became an investor. Looking yeah. uh, into, uh, worked for an investment firm actually, not an investor. Mm. Worked for an investment firm looking into Africa, uh, and then decided to stay and to and start a startup. Yeah. So that was my tra- tra- uh, uh, transition period, basically. Um, yeah. But becoming an entrepreneur wasn't a deliberate thing; it was not. I guess it's, it's for the good anyway. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, as as a non technical founder, um, how how easy was it for you to roll out the MVP for your for your startup? Then you know the food delivery business. Um. So looking back into how I ideated it, so it was an evolution rather than um, a sudden thing. Um, I didn't. I knew that technology would play a big role in the world, in the in the company, mm-hmm. but it wasn't the main thing. I knew uh, somehow I knew that the problem can be solved without building tech, an original tech solution. Yeah. So uh, just going back a bit to this, to, to how I founded the business. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So I was, do, working, I was doing part-time job as a delivery driver whilst I was still working as an academic. I just said, okay, what job can I do in the evening uh, is, um, that it will not be... A, um, that will not be intellectually tasking for me. Yeah. Um, uh, so, delivery driver. I love driving in Bristol. I live in Bristol. Mm-hmm. I love driving. So, I would just would just sign up for this job. So, I signed up for a, a restaurant, a, a very good in, in, uh, Chinese restaurant. Mm-hmm. They have the the owner has three chains of restaurant. One, one chi- two Chinese restaurant and one uh, Japanese restaurant. Yeah. And they needed to be doing delivery uh, because they were not doing that before now. Yeah, and so they they advertised and I applied and I said I can do I can do two days a week, mm-hmm. uh, and then I, I realized that they don't do much delivery. Those two two days I'm there, I'll just mm-hmm. sit down there reading books, mm-hmm. and and find out that they are not doing much delivery. Mm-hmm. And I told them uh, and I started calculating how much they're paying me versus mm-hmm. how much delivery they do. Mm-hmm. They realized that they can actually save money if if they if they outsource that and mm-hmm. and they're charging per per, per delivery rather per delivery. than per hour. Mm-hmm. I said surely. It's Somebody must be able to do this whereby you aggregate restaurants like this that don't want to have their own delivery drivers. Mm-hmm. And, and when a customer calls them, you, and they will just call that company. The company will just send delivery to you and pick up. So that's yeah. what I thought. Mm-hmm. Uh, so around that time, they told me that, ah, they wanted me to do more hours. And I said, I can't do more days because I have a full-time job. Mm-hmm. But you can give me those days and I'll hire drivers for you. Mm-hmm. You don't care about who I hire as, more, as long as you pay me. Mm-hmm. And I'll, anybody that's delivery, I'll send out the driver. And that's why I started it then. Wow. At that point, there was no technology. Just They would just call. I would just give a number for each night that they can call. Mm-hmm. So they call one of the driver. That driver will then pick up and then go and deliver or send it to another driver to go and pick up, basically. Wow. So that's why it was done. And I said, I think, I think that's a better way to do this, where you can have a website. Yeah. And, and I started reading about it. And I realized I spent an industry that's been going on a lot in the US, actually, yeah. where they call it restaurant delivery system. Wow. Where in, I think in the US, there, it was a big, big thing then. Uh, people, uh, you, 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 you get all the restaurants that are being taken away, you get all their menu, uh, and, and you tell them that they can call you. So yeah, they have a central number they call. Yeah. And, and then uh, people know people can call you directly. They will order their menu, whether on your website or, or, mm-hmm. or, or print out their menu in a booklet. Yeah. You send that booklet, booklet out to, to a different household. Yeah. People can call a particular number and then you, 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 you take, you place the order to the restaurant and you send a driver to go and pick up from that restaurant. You charge yeah. the restaurant 30% of that food. Of the food, wow. Mm-hmm. So I saw that and I knew that. And there's also technology that you can buy on the shelf for it. Mm-hmm. So I initially started with the technology. So I knew that I'm not a tech person. So mm-hmm. initially when I, when I wanted to launch my platform, uh, then I wanted to move away from this restaurant I was working with. Yeah. I started calling a lot of restaurants to say, hey, I'm, I'm about to start this. You don't have mm-hmm. delivery driver. I'm going to put your menu online. And yeah. I'm going, when people order, they're going to come here. So they said, fine. I'll, I'll mm-hmm. check 30%. So the first thing I did was to launch a landing page. So mm-hmm. I spoke to one of my friends. We just built a very small, cheap landing page to say, hey, yeah. Do you want your food to be delivered? We are coming. Yeah. Uh, blah blah. Mm-hmm. And, and 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 then people and people were just uh, giving me their email address. Mm-hmm. And then on the back end, I started talking to a company in the UK, mm-hmm. in the US, opendining.net. Okay. They have a platform where you can put all the all the menu, yeah. you can order, and the restaurant will get a text message. Mm-hmm. So I, I just use off the shelf, basically. Wow. Mm-hmm. It was after I raised my first seed capital, my substantial seed capital yeah. from a VC that we started building our own uh, platform. Platform, wow. Yeah, but b- before then, I was already in business. Yeah. Uh, so I didn't allow my non-technical skills yeah. to stop me. It was after I raised money mm-hmm. that I got a CTO 
uh, and then we started building our own uh, in-house stuff. Oh, wow, that's quite, that's quite impressive. So what would you advise um, an entrepreneur who's, who's um, looking to start or who's just started and is looking to get funding for their startup? What are like three key things you think they should look out for to attract the right, you know, uh, venture capital or if it's seed funding or any rounds? What do you think would advise? advice you would think? The first thing is don't focus on raising money. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's, it's a big, big uh, um, mistake and it could be a red herring for most entrepreneurs that they, the first thing that they think about is uh, when they are thinking about their business idea is uh, money and funding. Yeah. Um, money is very important. Money is a lifeline for every business. You need capital yeah. uh, uh, and different businesses need uh, the different level of capital. Some need capital for it to start in, 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 in the first place. Mm-hmm. But once you start thinking about capital that you cannot control, that you don't have access, that you, it becomes the barrier that you can't go over. You, yeah. you can't get past that. Uh, and then it becomes your focus and then you, you like the chance that you're going to lose is high. Mm-hmm. Uh, just statistically, the probability of most businesses raising funding is very low. Most businesses don't raise external capital. Um, mm-hmm. It's only very few that does and that manage that are successful in raising capital. And it's only very few that are even successful in raising venture capital. Yeah. <laughs> and it's only very few that raise venture capital that are even successful in raising follow-on funding. So yeah. the statistics of it is, is like somebody saying, I want to be educated and, and um, uh, how do I get into Harvard? Mm-hmm. Now, the first thing is education. Okay, mm-hmm. Harvard is great, but the first thing is that if you think, oh, Harvard, uh, I want to be educated uh, and out of Harvard, because the statist- statistically, the chance of you getting to Harvard is very, very low. Yeah. Okay. Harvard is great, but that should not be the main thing that you're looking at for mm-hmm. first. So the first thing I'll tell entrepreneurs, focus on the customer. What problem are you solving for them first? Mm-hmm. That's the first thing. Second thing is how am I solving that problem for them? Now, don't be on on the technology or stuff. With, how am I solving? What's the simplest way to solve this problem for the customer? And, and how do I get, and how do I quickly validate that solution for them? as quickly yeah. as possible. Mm-hmm. Those are the first three things you have to think about. Mm-hmm. Customer, the product, and how do we get to, to them as quickly as possible. Yeah. If you can solve, the, if you can focus on those three things, mm-hmm. then you start having a business. Of course, there's some business that you can't start without funding. Okay, yeah. that's sad. But most business, I bet you, most mm-hmm. businesses uh, can be started, uh, can be, the, the core hypothesis and the core mm-hmm. assumptions around that business mm-hmm. can be validated without raising external capital. Yeah. And they go for that first. Mm-hmm. And of course, there are differences between high growth companies and small scale companies and stuff. But most businesses are not high growth startups like Google or Facebook. Most mm-hmm. businesses are not like that. So focus on the customer, focus on the products that you are yeah. trying to solve, that you're trying to use, and focus on the solution, how you're going to get a solution to them. Yeah. Get that first. And then if you do that, if you're able to validate your core hypothesis and core assumptions around the problems you are trying to solve, yeah. uh, money. Uh, fundraising is a byproduct of of the success you made in the first instance. Yeah, and most investors are not uh, investors are not charity. They're looking for places they can put money in uh, that can generate returns for them. Mm-hmm. And, and and one of the best ways in which they can use to validate whether they are making the right decision is to see whether you're actually solving a problem uh, or to see the market or to see the product or to see the customer reaction to that product. So okay. if your first instinct is, hey, I have a business idea. Hey, and then I'm looking for funding. You mm-hmm. like to raise the money. 
<laughs> so that's the, that's the thing I tell every every entrepreneur. After you've done that, then it's okay. How do I raise money? It's a good question to ask. Okay, how do I raise money if I need to raise money? Mm-hmm. Uh, first, do you have a good product? Uh, do you, is the market huge enough to to deliver returns for the investors? What sort of investors should you be targeting? Mm-hmm. There's some entrepreneurs that have no business raising money from VC mm-hmm. because your business is not a VC f- fundable business, yeah. and it's not it, and it, it's not a testament. Mm-hmm. to the quality of the business. Yeah. You can have high quality, good, fine, fantastic businesses that are not venture-backable business. Mm-hmm. Because venture-backable means that the VC can put money in and, and they are able to generate 10x their money back yeah. within a particular period of time. Right. It's not all businesses that are like that. All yeah. businesses don't generate 10x, 20x uh, within 10 years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, might be, it might be cash cash flow positive business yeah. but they are not venture backable and which is okay for you as an entrepreneur yeah. like, okay I'm, I'm having a business that is making money mm-hmm. uh, that is generating uh, good funding for me and and having, and living well with my family uh, I can buy a house uh, I can even buy a private jet okay yeah. but but external entrepreneur cannot come in and expect my business to, to generate 10x or 20x because mm-hmm. that 10x, 20x that entrepreneurs, uh, investors are looking for, yeah. it's not normally coming from your revenue. Exactly. It's coming from your business being sold. Mm-hmm. What the value of the business, uh, uh, somebody is coming to, to buy that value yeah. uh, in the public or private market. Mm-hmm. So that's why I normally try to dissuade entrepreneurs from thinking venture first. Don't yeah. think venture first. Think mm-hmm. problems, mm-hmm. customers, and the solutions that you're providing. Spot on, spot on. I, 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 I totally agree. Then that, that's a key point for you know listeners who are going to listen to the especially entrepreneurs who are looking to start or already started and thinking about funding. At least they've, they've got the right contact what to think about. I know in 2019, there's a good news coming in and there's something new, there's something new because I know we've, we've talked offline about it. So tell me about this new venture in 2019. Yeah, I don't know when your podcast is coming out, but hopefully it's going to come out after I announce, uh, if not. Um, so uh, I'll be transitioning out to startup. I'm joining a VC firm. Uh, 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 based in, currently in East Africa, but we are looking at uh, we are launching in West Africa. And my role is to help uh, establish the fund or, or work with the fund in West Africa. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a multi round VC firm uh, with uh, about one hundred fifty million dollars under management, uh, mm-hmm. and we invest uh, across uh, series across more rounds in you know, businesses. We invest up to eight million dollars in businesses mm-hmm. uh, across multiple rounds, and it's something. I've always wanted to do. I've always wanted to uh, uh, support entrepreneurs in Africa. And then, like I said, the startup was an expression of how do I solve that problem? How do I support entrepreneurs in Africa uh, with capacity development and uh, teaching them about how to build high-growth businesses and marketing? Uh, uh, but I know that there's a, there's a limit to do that without providing the right capital for them. Mm-hmm. So joining um, um, this VC firm gives me that opportunity to be able to 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 support and invest in businesses uh, and in entrepreneurs that are building high growth and uh, transformational businesses, mm-hmm. uh, solving problems for for the mass, uh, for the low income mass markets in in, in, in in Africa, especially West Africa. Yeah. Um, so that so I'm joining as a principal or, or as an investment director, mm-hmm. and, and and my role will be to be looking out for businesses and entrepreneurs that are solving mass pro- uh, uh, providing products and services for low income ma- mass markets in West. In, in 
West Africa mm-hmm. and back them with financial resources uh, um, and, and invest um, between 500 to $8 million into their business yeah. and, and, and see it grow. Uh, and, and become uh, uh, impactful uh, and generate returns for us. So that's what I'll be, that will be my job from end of January. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that will be my career uh, uh, for a very, very long time. Uh, uh, I see myself as an investor and I'm, I'm, look, I'm really excited about it. Mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to it. So what does that mean for starter? It means that I have to transition out of, out of starter. Mm-hmm. Starter will be led by another person mm-hmm. um, and um, hopefully continue what we are doing and do it better than I was doing it. Yeah. And that's it really. That's the big cool. news coming I know it's exciting times and congratulations one more time. Oh, thank you. Yeah. And on a final note, um, obviously, like I did mention at the, at the start of the, the, the show today, you were one of those who inspired me to, you know, start the, the podcast. What do you think about the idea of showcasing a positive African narrative about Africans living in diaspora and telling positive story about the continent? So, Tutu, I think what you're doing is brilliant and great. Uh, like I said, I've told you this in private as well when you are ideating and thinking about this. We spoke about it that this is great. Um, there are lots of Africans uh, Africans in diaspora that their story needs to be told uh, and for, for, for various reasons. One, uh, to highlight the positive uh, contribution of, of Africans in the diaspora. Uh, that's one. Number two is to inspire other people, uh, both in the diaspora and outside and, 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 and in the continents to see what, uh, uh, how they can also make an impact. And three is, I believe the collective um, uh, brilliance of the diaspora can be utilized in many, way, many ways. It have diasporans to come back home and build businesses or start businesses or support businesses or join startups, but also to contribute intellectually to the debate going on. Mm-hmm. And I think your podcast is going to be a good way to do that. So mm-hmm. contribute intellectually to talking about Africa, talking mm-hmm. about the continent and engaging with it and, mm-hmm. and talking about it and actually can lead to so many uh, ideas so many uh, uh, thinking and, and, and a lot of connection as well. I believe quite a number of people on your podcast who, uh, that have come before uh, or will be coming as well will be, will be posing their own ideas and, mm-hmm. and not just talking about their life, but talking about uh, ideas, what they believe. Mm-hmm. And that can generate a lot of debate. Uh, mm-hmm. And I hope people will take me up on some of the things I've discussed here. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, can, they, can, they can reach out to me on my, on my, on my Twitter. And we, and then, and that debate, we all learn and we, we all contribute positively to this emerging African story. Uh, uh, one of the, the brilliance and, and the cont- positive contribution of the continent yeah. to the world. Yeah. Great pleasure to have you on the show today. I learned a lot. It's helped me as well. And I'm sure listeners who are going to listen to this are going to learn a lot from this conversation we've had today. Thank you for coming on the show. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. Thanks a lot for having me. Thank you for listening to the Africa Emerging Podcast with our guest on the show. I hope you enjoyed the show like I did. Please like Africa Emerging on Facebook, follow us on Twitter and Instagram. If you haven't done so yet, don't forget to subscribe and download this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play and Overcast. Like, share and review. Your feedback is extremely important to me. It will help me improve content provided on the show. Thank you for listening to the show. Spread the word on how Africans are changing the world. It's time to build the African continent. Subscribe to our newsletter on africaemerging.com.